Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. I have been filling in for Josh, who is unable to be here um, this week, um, and he is very much missed, very much looking forward to giving him back the reins. Um, but I do have for our three other men with me in the studio, Paul Luer, Phil Moran, and Jonathan Van Hoogen. And so um, you're still in very capable hands, despite the fact that the guy that's quote-unquote emceeing is is a little bit adrift. But we've been working through the seven letters to the churches um, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, anybody want to just give a, a quick synopsis of what these letters are? Sure. So these seven letters, um, John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is, he is um, conveying the words that have been given to him uh, by Christ to these seven churches, which are historical locations, um, historical churches. Uh, they would have, these letters would have been very deliberate and appropriate for those churches. Um, and they are uh, specifically chosen um, because in uh, between all seven, we have pretty much every um, everything that could be not everything, but we have uh, the the biggest problems. Um, essentially, we can we can find our church in our day typified in one or more of these, and so. Um, by choosing seven, trying to show that, hey, our bases are covered here. Uh, and all Scripture being about Christ, uh, one of the things that we notice in each of these letters to the church is a character of Christ uh, is being brought forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got seven churches, seven character qualities of Christ are uh, manifest. You know, he's got authority in one. He's the one that gives life in another. The other one, he's a warrior against sin. He's the one that searches the heart. He's the source of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that provides the open door of eternal life and the, the gospel. And uh, again, he's the true witness to to things. So you you find something about the character of Christ. You also find something about, you know, as you've alluded to there, there's a problem in some of these churches that is being addressed, a church that has lost their love, a church that is uh, tolerating false teaching and immorality, the church that is um, appears to be alive but is spiritually dead, and church that is weak and has little strength and needs to remember the things that uh, have been proclaimed. Um, and so in each one, not only is there a character of Christ mentioned, there might be a problem that's mentioned. There's also uh, duties that each of the church uh, has in response to the, the, you know, what has been identified for encouragement or uh, for um, a- admonishment. 
they have a duty. And then on the end of that duty is also the reminder of the promises of God, the promise of the tree of life, the promise of freedom from death, or uh, that they might have spiritual significance, that someday they're going to rule over the nations, that they're giving um, a white robe representing the purity of Christ, uh, that they're, they're identified with him, or they have a secure dwelling or a fellowship with God. So there's there's something in the in the promise as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to read the the letter um, to the Church of Laodicea, and then we'll start looking at it. And to the church, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Very quickly, there is so much history embedded in this letter. Um, a letter that's actually different than all the rest that we've looked at in the fact that there is absolutely zero praise for the Church of, of Laodicea. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as in the Church of Philadelphia was all positive here, you have a, a, a letter that's that's basically an entire critique. Um, but as we talked yesterday, the, the Church in Philadelphia had an earthquake in, in 1718, somewhere around their A.D., and had to be rebuilt by... Um, the Roman Empire, and specifically by the emperor, Laodicea has an earthquake in around 60 AD, and they refused government aid because they were such a wealthy city. They said, no, we don't need you. We'll rebuild ourselves." And so that comes out in the letter that they're rich. Um, but this is also a city that doesn't have a natural water supply. And so they're getting, they're pumping in water from I don't know. Through aqueducts. And, yeah, and yeah. so when the water gets there, it's neither hot nor cold. It's this lukewarm water. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have a town that's known for their eye salve. Right, um, Fr- Phrygian ointment. <clears throat> so you have all of these details that are just embedded in the letter. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating to me, just Jesus is the master teacher. So he's coming to this church and saying, okay, I'm going to use everything that you know to help expose you spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in, and just a, that's a little bit of a side note, but it's just a wonder of there is an art to preaching. There is an art to teaching that you take it, it. I mean, I was trained as an educator and what they say is you start with the known and then you, you move from the known to the unknown and use the known to help people understand the unknown. And Jesus mm-hmm. is doing that here. He's taking what they know, everything about their city and using it to expose their spiritual need. Yes, and and he's he's giving them uh, this is this is a strong rebuke. Mm. It's one of the strongest re- rebukes uh, in the seven letters, and uh, he's putting a choice before them. 
and he challenges them. Uh, they're lukewarm like the water supply of Laodicea. And he said, I would rather, he, he essentially says, I would rather that you be hot or cold. In other words, embrace me or reject me, but don't pay me lip service. <laughs> right. And uh, that provokes the wrath of Jesus and the rebuke of Jesus like, like nothing else. Uh, reject me or embrace me, but don't play games with my name. And uh, so he says, I'm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. What a, what a vivid warning, uh, unless, unless you become hot once again in your faith for me and your trust for me. And yeah, what gonna, you, there's, there's a big warning here uh, toward just this whole idea of self-sufficiency. Uh, you know, as you pointed out, Russ, Laodicea was a city that was had their own riches, and they were they, they rejected. You know, we're we want no one's uh, you know favor. We can do this ourselves, and so they're trying to do it. Then they didn't want anybody's charity, and uh, they were taking pride in their own goodness, uh, moral goodness. And so when people do that, when they when we take pride in our own goodness, our own abilities, uh, we're we're actually rejecting the gospel. Uh, we're mm-hmm. rejecting the only one who can save us. Uh, we're addicted to um, a s- salvation by works kind of mentality that we'll we'll get there. We get it. We we're better than most. We're and and that's all we need. Yeah, he, he says in verse uh, seventeen, "You say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing," not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, what is the danger of riches? Remember, remember that Jesus warned it, it's e- easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the temptation is the temptation of riches is the temptation to believe I've I've got it made. The fact that I'm prosperous must mean that I'm living right, and I have no need of a savior. I've been teaching my high, some of my high school kids in my church um, in catechism, and we just worked through the solas of the Reformation. Um, and when we were talking about uh, solas gratia, that, that we're saved by grace alone, I made the statement that really this is a, a doctrine that is contrasting grace with merit. And it's interesting that the Protestant church was was birthed on this idea that we're saved by grace alone. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me that if you go into the Protestant church of today, very, very, very few Protestant churches actually believe in, in sola gratios, that we're saved by grace alone. Um, <clears throat> unknowingly, they've actually put in merit. Mm-hmm. So what they'll say is, well, I'm saved by my faith, the decision that I make for for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And the doctrine of, of, of grace alone is, no, you're not saved by, that's the instrument that's used, but that instrument was a gift from God. Salvation just isn't out there, and if you want it, you grab it. It's really this idea that, no, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and really, what that doctrine that is in that verse is—that's actually total depravity. 
Yeah, that's sure right. Is. That that you you don't have anything to offer, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and our tendency is to be like the city of Laodicea to say, "I'm fine. I can rebuild myself. Yeah, I don't right. need any outside help. I don't need anybody to do anything for me. I've got it." Mm-hmm. One of the lessons here <clears throat> is that we're actually like the church in Laodicea. Men are generally very, very bad at diagnosing themselves and, and sizing themselves up. Mm. And uh, I've I lived a good part of my life um, sizing myself up, and uh, I was not found wanting when I did my own when I weighed myself. Mm. Um, but in God's mercy, He showed me how utterly and completely lacking I was. So yeah, one of the lessons here is not only are men like this, but they're really abysmally terrible hmm. it, it 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 really adjudicating themselves well mm-hmm. it, and that's that's true even even when uh, let's let's just say even with the the sins that we commit very often what we want to do we're pre- where somebody said we don't do repentance we do preparation we do preparation to make ourselves right and then we repent. We want listen, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a few things right, then I'm gonna come back to God and I'll you know, so we're actually trying to do something for ourselves rather than just simply coming to him and and laying ourselves out and confessing that we're pitiable pitiable and naked and poor. Well you've been listening to the Gospel for Life and uh, we hope you'll tune in tomorrow.